welcome to the Writer Showcase Podcast. My name is Phil Nasons, and I'm the host of this weekly radio program heard exclusively on Max Sports Channels. And it's a show where authors talk about books and their books and give us marketing ideas and promotion ideas and just talk about their journey as writers. And today we have a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, who's been here before. In fact, she helped open up the show on the 1st of January. Please welcome Mrs. Marianne Bernal to the Writer Showcase Podcast. How you doing, Marianne? What's up? Hi, Phil. How are you doing today? We're doing good in little old chilly Omaha. Uh, we can't get into spring, it seems, but that's okay. I have my heater uh, cranked up, and I'm ready to go. Uh, there you go. And you had a tornado today, you said? No, 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 not today. We just had a uh, tornado test today. Uh, they do that um, twice a week on the on the local news. They interrupt the uh, station, and then you'll hear the sirens once a week uh, as they test it. Because uh, I am in a tornado belt, but I've been fortunate since I moved out here from uh, little old New York, where we don't have tornadoes, and um, we've been pretty lucky since I've been here. So I figure I'm good luck to the state. There you go. You know what? I'm on my tennis show, and that's how I start the show off. Okay. With a tornado warning. It freaks people <laughs> out. But uh, there was a tornado last year in New York, I remember, if, if, I, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. There, um, yeah, but I, I know, I, I'm from uh, Yonkers, New York, Westchester County, and I don't really believe it hit there. I, I, I don't remember where exactly it was, but uh, they're, they're not really common in New York. Of course, with global warming now, you never know. We might be seeing a different trend there. Yeah, who knows? But anyhow, you are the author of a series of novels called The Britain and the Dane. You've packaged one set into a trilogy. And where'd you come up with the idea for the Britain and the Dane series? Oh, this happened a long time ago when I was a very impressionable kid and I, I love Hollywood uh, blockbusters, specifically the period movies. So I grew up with the Vikings and the Longships and Knights of the Round Table and King Arthur and Black Shield of Farewells and, oh, my God, all these just great period pieces. And then, of course, I read uh, Sir Walter Scott's Ivanhoe, and I, I just became an Anglophile and an incurable romantic, and I admit to that, and I don't care. And uh, I and then, oh, the best part was this um, commercial for cigars, and it said, Eric is back, and this they had this... Danish Viking warrior, but dressed in modern clothing, on a, on a ship sailing into Manhattan Harbor, and it was like I got to write an Eric the Viking story, and that's where the whole thing developed. But of course, it took me forever to get to the, uh, put down uh, paper and pen together because uh, life gets in the way, and I just didn't have the time. So up until a few years ago, it was still in my head. Now it's out there, and uh, it's it's a great series, and I hope people enjoy it. Yes, it is a great series. You were here in January talking about the the book, The Britain and the Day in Concordia. Right. But these were books way before that, right? Yes, yes. The trilogy happens uh, about 16 years before Concordia. So uh, she's one of the characters. Uh, we meet her uh, initially in uh, Birthright, and then she's in Legacy. So um, I have to fast forward to get her to be of age um, so we can write her story, which is what I did. And um, I have it, um, the story takes place for Concordia the year before Alpha the Great Guys. But uh, it, it's just a great uh, you know, time in history. Uh, and uh, since it's the Dark Ages, because there's no documentation readily available because everything was uh, destroyed during the, the uh, Viking carnage and everything. So... Uh, 
you know, you can really have creative license on what you want to do with the characters, but um, I, I do try to keep my uh, scripts uh, close to what did happen in history. Like in uh, eight, uh, 882, Alfred the Great did meet the Vikings' um, uh, assault on sea, and in uh, the Britain and Legacy, the last um, um, uh, para chapter there is the Battle at Sea. So it, it is true that it did happen. So I, I do try to base my, my stories on, on historical events that did take place. Of course, my outcomes and everything are much different than what really happened because I can do whatever I want because I'm the author. That's exactly correct. You can do whatever you wish. You have literary right. license to do whatever you wish, unless it's a nonfiction book, of course. And right. these are not fiction. These are fiction. So it's all That's good. Right. Anyway, how did you know that, or when I should say, did you know that this would become a series? Because you oh. started the first one and you didn't, I don't know. Go ahead. Uh, it was just supposed to be one book. And you know what happened? All these characters came in my head and said, no, I want a, I want a subplot in here. No, you have to talk and get me in there too. And all of a sudden I had this big conglomerate of people wanting, you know, to do stuff and they wanted a presence in there. And what became Gwyneth and Eric's story, all of a sudden had, we had Elizabeth and Serdic and Olaf and, and uh, Jorah. And I mean, everybody is just coming in there and they all wanted a piece of the action. So therefore I ended up uh, having to uh, put this into three books. And, and the interesting part is, okay, so I finished the first book, so we're gonna continue in the second book. And the next thing I know, I have new characters coming in and they're demanding their time too. So that was another offshoot subplot and that goes on. And in Legacy, Legacy is a little longer than the first two books because I did um, uh, tie up all the loose ends and I, I put everything nice and neat into a, a little farewell package when I ended the story. So it, it was a real enjoyable adventure. And I did tell you, I, I, I did have a map of um, uh, southern uh, England there. So uh, I, and I had all my main little cities and towns and stuff. And I would update that frequently so I knew where all my characters were at any given point in the story because we did move around a lot. So, um, and then also I, I, I picked St. Gall, um, uh, the um, um, monastery, which is in modern day Switzerland um, for uh, another aspect of the storyline. And I was also in, in uh, Rome uh, with the popes uh, to, to try and, and uh, give the reader uh, an idea of what was going on elsewhere uh, um, uh, on the planet when we were in uh, Anglo-Saxon Wessex in the ninth century. Sounds great. Now, um, how long did it take you to write these books? Uh, they take, a, my, my writing, it takes about 10 months because I, I, um, I'll do my uh, first uh, run at it. And generally, I try to, uh, generally speaking, uh, I, I'm pretty much finished when I finish the novel. I, I don't go back and rewrite and so on. What I do after I finish the story is I, I just start to edit because I get really picky on some of my sentences. And if I don't like the way the sentence reads, I will spend time trying to um, put it to my satisfaction of the way I want it. So uh, I will, um, you know, make my edits and then that file goes off to my editor and she just gives it a once over. And um, um, if she has any comments or anything, uh, she lets me know. But for the most part, my books are, are uh, almost print ready when I, when I finish the final manuscript. Yeah, that's pretty good for your editor. They don't have to work so hard. <laughs> Saves you right. some money too, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now, uh, can you tell us a little bit about a couple of the main characters? Because I know there's like hundreds of them. 
Yes, there's an epic cast of thousands. Okay, uh, I'll just start out. The story started out with Gwyneth, who meets her Viking warrior, Prince Eric, uh, while he's wounded on the, on the uh, beach because she's looking from the top of the uh, keep. And um, that's the, the tower um, uh, in, in the fortress. And I have the fortress on, on the citadel is on top of a, a, you know, a rocky cliff. And she's looking down. Into, uh, onto the beach because we're, uh, you know, it's the English Channel that's going there. So when she sees this wounded stranger, and of course he's got to be good looking, uh, uh, you know, a, a warrior um, uh, physique and all this other stuff. And, um, but she's a very headstrong uh, young lady who does not fit in with the, you know, her times because she's going to do what she wants. And she was fortunate that her, her father, um, you know, did uh, let her, uh, uh, you know, study with her brothers. He gave her all the same um, choices and everything that her brothers would have. So she was pretty much an independent woman, something like Eleanor of Aquitaine uh, going further down in the Middle Ages, who, who was the role model for that period of time because women were really, uh, you know, uh, put in the background and really didn't have much say. So all my women characters are very strong and they do what they want and we don't care. <laughs> so uh, she's that type of a, a person and she does what she wants and what, but the only problem is she gets herself into a lot of trouble because she interferes where she shouldn't. And uh, then, uh, you know, we have to have, uh, you know, Eric and her dad and, you know, get her out of the messes that she gets herself into. So she's uh, really, uh, I, I think she's, and she's a very fun character too, because, you know, I, I have her also as a warrior princess per se, because um, her brother David uh, taught her how to wield sword and she's a uh, uh, expert archer and so on. And she can defend the realm just like uh, the guys can. And that's what my women do in my stories. Sounds good. Plenty of women in your stories. Oh yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're all strong too. I, I'm not, I, I don't like, you know, uh, we care. None of my characters are really weak. My, my characters are all strong men or women. Yeah, and, but and they, they're well yeah. developed too. Thank you. They're well Thank developed. You. Now, this is a trilogy. Now it's over, right? But then the series, the Britain and the Dane, isn't really over, is it? No, because I don't want to leave there yet. I'm not ready. I, I really like that. I have fun back there, and I, I and I too. I, I like my characters, and I, I just like the time period. And um, uh, you know, the thing now uh, that's interesting. I don't know if you've uh, seen it um, on the History Channel, but they have a, a a series right now called Vikings. So that's bringing more interest to the modern, uh, uh, you know, society about, you know, going back and seeing, well, this is the Vikings and this is what happened there. And my story, you know, uh, also corroborates uh, that time period. So, uh, and, and with the uh, Nielsen ratings showing that, you know, people are watching it, I think it's, uh, it's uh, you know, bringing back an interest into the Viking age and so on. And um, hopefully people will become uh, more interested in wanting to read the story because it takes you back in that time period. And, uh, you know, uh, it is like a Hollywood uh, blockbuster type, so um, it will get on the big screen one day um, in God's perfect timing. And in the meantime, I just keep writing, and we'll get there. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that, that it would make a good movie, a great movie. Um, have you pitched it to anyone? or? Uh... Not yet. I, I um, What I wanted to do um, is I wanted the complete trilogy available in, in one um, book versus the three, because when I, I do uh, get to pitch this, I don't want to have three separate titles out there where it, something's going to get lost in the mail or whatever. 
So um, I um, w- wanted to have everything available before I, I, I start sending it out. But uh, what I've done is I, um, I switched publishing uh, houses now. So I'm uh, currently in um, the process of doing a second edition of all three titles. So the first title has just been released and um, I'm um, uh, working on the second and third titles. My editor um, has them now just to go over with if I to comb that everything's fine. So all three series will um, be out by, uh, I, I would say, in the next uh, three to four weeks. And then um, I do want to do a second edition of the, the three-in-one um, book, uh, and then I will be ready. And then look at Hollywood because I'm coming. There you go. Wish you luck with that. Thank you. That's, that's a hard business. Uh, Mark Berman. He's a good friend of mine. He's a screenwriter, and he's uh, he was on the show, in fact. I think it was the eighth episode, and he talked about the struggles in that yes. business. It's very difficult. It's like anything. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. But we, you probably have a shot if you get it in the right person's hands. Um, you said that you switched publishing houses. Now, I thought that you were independent author. Do you have a publishing house? or? Yes. I, I was. Uh, I, I don't want to name the names, but I was. Uh, I had one, and I uh, no longer am with that one, and I decided to go with uh, a different venue. So uh, that's what I did. So uh, and, and you can do that. So what that means, though, is I unpublished the titles from the first place, and then I, I republished, but it's the second edition. Okay. So that means that you're now you're independent then, or? Yes, I am. I'm independent. Um, my uh, very, um, I was the first title was originally uh, published by a traditional uh, publishing house, but um, unfortunately uh, they went out of business. So after I uh, got my rights back, I decided to do the indie route and uh, be in complete control of all my work, and that's what I've done since then. Yeah, I understand the indie route. I'm one too, and I, I'm pretty much fed up with it, to be honest with you, because it's very <laughs> difficult in this line of work. But uh, what but we're the, not in this line of work because it's easy, Phil. We're in it because we're hard, it's hard, and we're going to make it in there. Oh, remember, no. Kennedy, remember J.F. Kennedy's speech when he said, we're not going to the moon because it's easy. We're doing it because it's hard. Well, here we go. It's the ones that persevere that are going to make it in this business, and, it, and it's, a, it's a long process. And if you don't give up and if you never surrender, and that's my favorite line from Galaxy Quest, um, you will make it down the road. Uh, but you got to put in your time. Yep. And that's what a lot of people don't want to do. Well, I think it also becomes a matter of finances, too, is that you just get beaten by it. You know, I know a lot of independent guys who quit their jobs, went full time and, well, didn't make it. Because you can't just be good anymore. You have to be great. Because it, don't you find that there's so much more competition now with the internet? Yes, there is, uh, and, and there's uh, you know there's all these promotions, and there's you know we we can uh, discuss forever the pros and cons of do you want to do a freebie promotion or don't you? And there, there there's a lot of stuff out there, and what you need to do is sift through all this stuff. And and one of the favorite lines that I read in one of my little research posts things uh, was lost in a sea of noise. And oh my God, yes, everything is so. What you got to do is be selective, and then when you learn that one avenue doesn't work, you you got to try something else. Uh, like you know, initially it was the Facebook fan pages, and then Facebook went and changed um, how they distributed the posts. So that sort of like uh, killed uh, a lot of your uh, audience that they weren't receiving your daily posts, and and that was disheartening. And then and then you have uh, your Twitter. 
And then Twitter all of a sudden became, you know, not as effective either because now people were just looking into the numbers. Well, I have 100,000 followers. Well, will be. Are you going to tell me that your 100,000 are going to read every one of your posts? Uh, Are you going to tell me that you're following 100,000 and you're going to sit there and read every one of those posts? I don't think so. So, uh, you know, it it makes it difficult to decide if, if that is the right avenue. Now, the new kid on the block is Pinterest. So, okay. I've done the other two. Let's give Pinterest a shot. And, and that's what I'm um, looking into developing more now, uh, my Pinterest um, uh, exposure versus, you know, I, I still keep up with everything else. But I'm, I'm putting a little more time and effort into Pinterest right now, uh, you know, establishing boards. I, I also do a lot of sharing on my blog with um, uh, other writers and, uh, you know, sharing their posts, their their blogs, their uh, reviews, their books. Um, I even have a board for you, um, Phil, on my little Pinterest board. Uh, you're, you have your own little board with your own little uh, logo picture there. So check it out one day and you'll see. And um, I, I just keep moving along. I keep doing a lot of research to see what's the new stuff out there. And I'll try everything once and see where it takes me. Well, I do thank you for that. I, I guess some very wise person told you to try that, right? Uh, Pinterest? Uh, I, I found out about that um, when it first came out last year. Uh, a, a fellow writer in one of my uh, Facebook groups um, happened to uh, create a, a board, and that's how I found out about it because it wasn't, at that point, it was by invitation only. So I really got in on the ground floor. And um, I, I did get the invite and, and it was a slow learning process, too, because uh, people were uh, more interested, not in the marketing aspect for a business, but more of the fun stuff. Like if you go on Pinterest and you see a lot of those pins, you'll see food and you'll see fashion and you'll see comics and rock stars. And I mean, I, I have uh, fun uh, boards on my on my uh, Pinterest uh, board also, in addition to all the stuff where I'm uh, promoting myself and fellow writers and, and so on. I, I have like favorite YouTube videos and, and just a fun stuff board. And then I have my supporting the troops board. And then I have, um, uh, all, all other kind of like favorite places. And then I also have some boards where I posted uh, some of the pictures from uh, uh, some of my trips. Like I was recently in, in Greece where you are now, but I didn't get to your area. Uh, I was there last October. I was in Ireland. I was in Italy and I was in uh, the UK. So I've got pictures there of some of my favorite places. So um, I have a, a, a good um, variety on my board. So if people are not interested per se in looking at the uh business aspect of it they can see the fun stuff but the idea is when they look at the fun stuff you hope that it'll generate interest so they can check out your other boards and and then maybe check out your work yeah that makes sense now you what you're describing is a lot of work it's a lot more work than like say an author who goes to a traditional house right what, what would you prefer well, you know, I'll tell you, I, I really, uh, I like the control I have right now. I'm a control freak at times. And I like being in control of all my work. I like being able to say, no, this is the, this is the kind of cover I would want versus what they throw at you. I, I like uh, knowing that, okay, I can put my book on Kindle uh, versus saying, well, wh- are we going to do electronic? Because this, ha- this happened. You know, well, when are we going electronic? Well, you know, uh, soon and, and then soon and then soon and then 
fortunately, uh, the um, or unfortunately, when it went out of business, I wasn't on uh, Kindle, so I didn't have to deal with um, you know trying to get my rights back and because once you're once you're posted like on on Kindle or Smashwords or anything else, uh, your title stays there forever because anybody who who bought that title has to have access to it forever and ever and ever. So, so that's not really going to go away. And what I ended up doing when um, I republished the uh, the first, um, it, this only happened with the first uh, title because fortunately uh, the uh, company did go under before I was able to um, uh, do the second one. So I didn't have any issues with the other titles. It was just the first title. I couldn't do anything with it until I got my rights back. And then what I did, so to avoid confusion, I had my illustrator, Stephen Novak, who does a real great job on, on my covers. And he also does my book trailers. And he's really super. And that's uh, NovakIllustration.com. And I just threw that in because he's good. Um, I, what he did was he uh, did another cover for me so people would not get confused when they were ordering the book. And then I had to uh, call it the special edition. Okay, but um, what you described still, though, you like the control, but uh, if you were in a traditional house, you wouldn't have to do half the things that you do now, right? Uh, well, no, that's not really the case because traditional houses now, what they, you know, you have to submit a platform when when you're trying to, uh, you know, uh, get them to be interested in your book, and and this is what I I don't like. If I'm going to have to do most of the work myself, why am I giving you uh, full control and taking a, a good chunk of the royalties? Because you still have to show that you have followers. You still have to show that you have a, a presence out on all the social media sites. So so if you didn't have a web page, you better get yourself a web page before you even start pitching your book to a publishing house. You have to be able to show that um, you have followers that um, will be interested in buying the book once it's out there. And you know that's really uh, almost uh, impossible to guarantee because you can have a thousand followers on Twitter and, and, and a thousand followers on Facebook and stuff, but that does not mean they're going to buy your book. OK, you, so you, you have to prove that you have to also tell them why um, uh, you think your book is better than anybody else's out there. And then you have to be able to get out there and also promote your own work. So my theory is, well, if I'm doing this myself, uh, what, what, what are you doing for me? OK, well, on the on, on the positive side, OK, what they'll do is um, you have a, a better shot of your book getting on a shelf in a, a brick and mortar store. However, Again, if you don't have the followers to buy that book and that book doesn't move off that shelf, your book is getting returned, uh, you know, and then any um, uh, copies that were produced, um, you know, are either shredded or they go on the, the bargain basement uh, uh, site for a while to see if they can get rid of it that way or else they're, uh, they're destroyed. And, and uh, you know, it, it's, um, you know, like a catch-22. There, there's no guarantee that your book is going to do well, whether you're self-publishing or whether you're with a uh, publishing house. And the publishing houses now are really, um, it, it's harder for a new person to get to break into the business because uh, of the um, potential for sales. And I, and I can tell you that the bookstores, they can tell you uh, uh, about their bookshelves and they can tell you how many um, books fit in uh, the, the, the inches on that shelf and then, you know, how long you should um, have to be able to move that book. And if it doesn't move uh, in their time period, it's history. Yeah, no, what you're describing is for new writers. Uh, yeah, but, you know. When you uh, pitch the house the first time and get yeah. in. Right, Cause I'm Because right. what I'm thinking about is like, the the 
top end guys where you would be if you were in a traditional house. Right. And they would they do everything. Um, David uh, Nassau, he's mm-hmm. he's a Pulitzer Prize author, and he wanted to come on the show to talk about the Patriarch with me, the book about right. Joe Kennedy. It's the definitive book on Joe Kennedy, and his publishing company wouldn't let him because they said to him, eh, "I know you guys get along and everything, but you've got a new project to do. We've already done enough. Catch him the next time." But he's told, but he told me that it, being in a publishing house is amazing because they do all the little things for him. So all he has to do is write and research and teach. And that's, I guess, the point I was trying to make is that if you could get to that level, isn't the traditional house the best thing there is? Well, if you can get to that level, the point is you got to get there first. However, if I get there and Hollywood beckons, I don't need anybody else. I'm already there, so I, I can, I can, I can hire a staff and I could do it myself. So, uh, or, or, or I, I can go. Uh, you know, um, my, my next book is going to be um, published um, with um, Green Wizard Publishing. So why not give Green Wizard Publishing? Uh, the the opportunity then to get up there with the uh, the big guys and and compete uh, just like um, you know the regular houses do because that's the other problem too with uh, uh, you know the smaller publishing companies that they have to put in their time uh, to be able to get up there and, and compete with the, the big people plus the uh, the you know there's been a lot of, a lot of mergers uh, lately too with the publishing houses so it's not a, a given that you know the uh, publishing houses are even going to stay there. Uh, it's a really weird market and with the electronic um, uh, book availability now everybody has to sit down take a look and regroup and and figure out new strategies on how to keep the print market out there and available and getting the sales so people can still keep their jobs and so you know they can still be in business so it's we're we're in this new uh, transition area right now and, and, and since I'm a new author, and not really new, I've been around for a while, but uh, I'm not up there with Stephen King, um, I have to do the best I can with what I have and my capabilities, and, and I still com- I continue to promote and to keep my name out there and, and to have awareness. And uh, like you said, all it takes is the one right person, and the floodgates open, and here we go. So I'm getting ready for my ride, because I'm going to ride the wave. Yeah, I think so, too. I think you probably will, but... Uh... What you're describing is like a Davy versus Goliath thing. Because I know Green Wizard Publishing, and that's not a very big house. I mean, no, what I'm talking best. about is like Tyndale, uh, HarperCollins, Penguin, right. these guys. You know, And I talk to these people because I try to get them to sponsor the show. And right. uh, they already have their own, apparently. But needless to say, they say that the small there's so many independent authors, they don't even have a clue where to start. When they're looking for new people, they have no idea. There's so many of them. How do you circumvent that? How do you get your book to the top of their heap, so to speak? That's what's very hard. See, the thing is, um, that, that that's why you keep doing the uh, the promotion to to try and get yourself out there. And and one of the ways to do that, and, and generally speaking, all authors uh, generally start. Um, you know, in their own hometowns, and and your local communities will support the local uh, writer, 
and and what you start to do is um, you know you you speak at um, you know, uh, like library conferences, I've done that. I, I've given presentations at the Nebraska Library Association, and um, I was in Lincoln and uh, also here in uh, Omaha. Um, I, I've spoken at um, uh, uh, conferences uh, for the uh, Archdiocese of uh, Omaha, and, uh, and you'll be surprised. Uh, I, I generally talk about uh, self-publishing and, and uh, writing and how to get into the business and so on. And there's, a, a, you think it's bad out there with them now. You got to see the people that sit in, in the chairs when I do these conferences on all these people that want to write a book. It's very interesting. The numbers are just amazing, and they, and, and you want to be, you know, supportive and positive because everybody should be allowed to be able to follow their dream. So now I, I, I have this on my resume that I, I, I do uh, give talks and I'm also on the uh, database for the uh, Library Association for anybody who wants a speaker to talk about uh, uh, writing or self-publishing and so on and, and you know, um, I have car, will travel. So I, I do that. But now the, the difficult part for uh, me and anybody who writes fiction is fiction is the harder sell. Uh, the money really uh, um, and the availability is with nonfiction and generally speaking nonfiction uh, books sell faster and these are the people that are asked to speak and that's where really the money is uh, when you put it in these gas, uh, guest appearances and then uh, you also have your little webinar programs and that's where you uh, make more money is where you uh, share on um, you know uh, the do's and don'ts on what you need to do to be able to uh, get yourself uh, established out there so the bottom line again it's getting the following getting them to um, uh, want to buy your work and and getting the the recognition and and it's a it's a time-consuming effort because if you read in the research thing it takes anywhere and I know people are not going to like hearing this but it takes anywhere from seven to ten years to get yourself out there so you put in your time or uh, what happens is the people that are going to make it are the ones that put in their time because a lot of people are going to get tired and and they're just going to give up along the way and um, so uh, and of course there'll be somebody new to take their place but again uh, how, how many are going to stay the course and, and put in their time? That's that's what separates the winners from the losers. And I ain't going nowhere. You're going to see me. I'll be around quite a lot. Yeah, it's good to hear. But uh, yeah, it's difficult to get anything in front of their eyes. I sent out 75 emails the other night. Oh, dear. And I got two responses back, though. Okay, well that's good. Well, that's one, good. No, one of them was one of them rejected me, but just said thanks for sending it to me. I have enough clients right now, and the other one actually asked for air checks, so I had to put all that together for him. So who knows? But uh, yeah, you get rejected a lot when you're at a certain point. But I've been around a long time too. But uh, the thing is, is when when you're independent, okay, I know what what I do is completely different from what you do, but because uh, I just do it and I don't edit it, it just does what is what it is. You know, I just put new stuff out there every day. When do you know that your book is ready to be published? Because I've read, and I'm not going to disparage anyone personally, mm -hmm. but I've read probably some of the biggest loads of rubbish in my life. I get bombarded with emails from independent writers, and, and i got to be honest, the majority of these books are, are bad. How do you know, because your books are not bad, they're great. How do you know when it's time to, okay, here you go? 
Okay. First of all, uh, I don't know if these people took creative writing courses. I don't know, um, you know, what their background is education-wise. I also um, uh, took a novel writing course. Um, and uh, again, um, I, I, I also... Um, I also edit. I'm an editor, and um, I, I also take refresher courses. So I, ta I, I do a lot of schoolwork here to uh, make sure that you know uh, I'm, I'm writing correct English. That's number one. Number two, um, I, I am more of a classical writer, which um, I, I, I don't uh, in my period uh, novels. I don't use you know contractions. I don't say it's good to you know. I go it is and so on. When I do my short stories, I've, I've had multiple short stories also um, um, uh, published in uh, various anthologies. When I when I write, quote, in modern uh, period, I will do the it's and that's and so on. But when I'm doing my novels, I, I'm very concise. I consider myself a classical writer, and, and I tell my story. I have a, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and I go in order, and I'm meticulous, and, and I make sure that my, my sentences are correct, and and that's why it takes me uh, longer than some people to write, because it, I cannot move forward if I'm unhappy with a sentence or a paragraph, and I end up going back there, and I sit there, and I will spend time uh, fixing it. And of course, later on when I do my editing, I might decide to to, to either rewrite it or, or or trash it altogether. But during the writing process. Um, I, I'm, I'm programmed that um, at the end of the day, um, give or take a few typos or whatever, my, my chapter to you should be 90% ready to publish. And, and that's how I do my work, and that's the way I write. So you but know I, then. So yes. you just know. That's basically what I was trying to get to. Yes. Because, because, go ahead. No, because you know what? But you also have people to sound off to with your with your work that you can write to, you know it's hard to be biased unbiased when it's your work mm -hmm. and you have these but you have people in place you can send them say chapter two and three and say hey am i on the right track here am i sounding correct or am i incoherent whatever you have those people though right yeah, I, I have um, two uh, uh, very dear friends of mine that have been with me on my uh, writing journey uh, since day one, and I uh, would feed them chapters at a time, uh, and um, um, what I, I really appreciated with them was my one friend, Diane, um, she would always say, I, I don't understand something, maybe I need to reread it again, and that's what I need, because I know my stuff so well that I'll just spit it out there, and I'll forget that you may not know who I'm talking about, and and uh, that's what you need with um, your, your readers that read while you're doing your work in progress, because if they see something that they don't understand, you can go back and fix it while it's still easily fixable versus you're at the end of the story now oh my god if i have to fix this now then that's going to change the whole thing and here we go we're we're changing the whole end of the story so i i do do that because um i i feel it's important and then um also um uh you know like um uh, the other uh, person um my uh, editor for my short stories and that's how i got her to do to come on board for the uh, second edition when I, I had her just do a quick read on the short story, she had said, uh, I really love it. Could you just add a little more drama at the end? And I thought that that was really a great, you know, uh, little uh, bit of advice. So I went back and I added some more because I just get myself in a role and then I say, end of story, I'm done. And then maybe I'm not done. And, that, and that's what is, I find helpful. So as I said, by the time I, uh, you know, I'm all finished with everything, I'm almost ready to go. 
And these aren't yes men either. These are people no. who will say, this is crap, and you just go, okay, I, well, now I know why. But they'll tell you why. That's right. That's, that's what right. You, that's what, that was what I'm trying to do, because I'm trying to educate people too here. And okay. there's because there's so much crap out there. You're they're killing cyber bits and burning and ruining trees. <laughs> and we okay. want them to put out books like you write, good books that Thank have you. some substance to them. That's what we okay. really want because it is so difficult to just separate the wheat from the chaff in the mm -hmm. literary world anymore because of the instant publication. I mean, it's just difficult, don't you think? I, I think so. Yeah, it is. And, and then um, the, the one good thing that I I have too, and I I want to. Uh, recommend this if they can. Um, up until um, uh, last year, um, the people that have read my work in progress um, have all been females. And then uh, just after I finished Concordia, I was really fortunate to um, um, uh, meet Mark Barry, who was the um, publisher for Green Wizard Publishing. And, and he gave, read The Britain in the Day in Concordia, and he gave me my first male perspective of the book, which I, I found very, very helpful and I was quite excited about that because, uh, like I said, up until that time, I mean, I, I write my stories for both uh, genders, and but I never really had a male, uh, you know, say, hey, this is good or this is crap or this is too, you know, romance you know, uh, uh, chick flick type things. And I'm not a chick flick person, trust me. I, I go action and adventure. I'm up there with the big guys. I don't, I don't do chick flick. So anyway, <laughs> say, I so, do. <laughs> well, I don't. He does too, but I, I shouldn't don't. be telling anybody <laughs> these things. <laughs> so anyway, I give me a good explosion any day. I love it, <laughs> you know. Or my sci-fi. Oh my God, being blown up in space. And, and remember, you know, in space, nobody can hear you scream. Do you remember what movie that's from? Okay. Oh, Alien. I love it. Yeah, I don't you know? have any idea what those oh, are. I love I, I'm, I'm a Real Housewives type of guy. <laughs> okay, now I'm out there. <laughs> I love those shows. <laughs> I love the fights. They're the best. You know, it's it's amazing how these wealthy housewives just. Mm -hmm are so shallow in real life, it's shallow. And, they're, and they think that they're deep and it's hilarious. But I think it's the same thing in, in publishing, in the self-publishing business now. But mm -hmm. you've described, it's, it's a very tough journey, obviously. Right. What is the usual day like for you as an independent <laughs> writer? Besides marketing my shows, which I thank you very much for, by the way. You're welcome. Uh, and I, I've, mentioned the, I've mentioned that a few times in my other shows. I just never said your name out loud. Okay. <laughs> I, I do listen in the I background. I said something funny. Yeah, did I? People tell me I'm funny, but I, I didn't know. Go ahead. I, I really like it. I, I, uh, in addition, what, what I do is marketing takes forever. I, uh, I'm telling you, I, I, I've already um, – I finally got a, 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 a schedule down um, – Initially, um, okay, this is the story of marketing. Um, when I first was published, I was doing this search and I found this article that said, so you got published, congratulations. Now you can sit back on your laurels and, and just enjoy, right? And there's this big wrong, you know, in big capital letters and stuff. And that was my education in uh, 2010 when my first book was published by my um, the traditional uh, publishing group. And, and that's when I, I had to get my webpage and, and, and I had to get on Facebook and I had to do Twitter and I had to do a blog. And, and essentially, I did uh, set up those profiles like within two weeks just to get it going before um, uh, the book was out there and available in print. And um, I, it's been a learning curve, uh, you know, since then. 
And uh, it, it is very time consuming. So before I could get to, uh, to writing Verse Fight, which was the second line, I, I spent three months with uh, marketing stuff uh, because in addition to those social sites, I, I created profiles on a lot of the book promotion sites. And, and this is all time consuming to set it up because they ask you these uh, you know, questions and, and every site has different questions. And then what I ended up doing was I created a file and I put the answers to all these. So then as I was going on down the road, Rather than start from scratch, I would just copy and paste if it was a similar, you know, and then maybe tweak it if it was a similar thing. So as time went on and I started, and then I would just let marketing go for a while and then I'd have to write because I can't do both. Plus, I was also, uh, I had a, a full-time job um, um, at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, so I was working there. And I was doing all this stuff at night and on weekends. And in between, I also had uh, um, sporting events and dance competitions for my grandkids. So I'm, I'm really, um, I, I'm wired a lot. I, I do a lot in, a, in the time that I have. So now what I, I have done is um, I'm able to devote all my time to writing and marketing. So I split the day and I do my marketing in the morning. And I'm in the office by um, 5, 30, 6 o'clock. I put in 10 to 12 hour days. Um, it's worse working at home than outside because you don't take breaks. But I market in the morning and I write in the afternoon. And, and that's what I've done. And, and I do um, what I do is I give myself a word count for the day. And I used to start out a little high and then I would get very frustrated if I didn't meet that quota because I, <laughs> I didn't have time for whatever reason. And, that, and then it wasn't fun anymore. So I scratched that because I, when I'm back in Wessex, I have a good time there and I don't want to come home. So um, I, I just uh, started down with what they tell you in school, write at least one page a day, which is 250 words and anything over that is gravy. So that's my goal for the day, one page. And of course I do go over that and it's like, yay. But um, uh, that's what I do because I still want it to be fun. I don't want this to be work. I, I enjoy what I'm doing. If I want it to be work, I can go out and get another job doing uh, what I do other than uh, writing and marketing. So uh, I'm trying to have fun while I'm on this adventure. Sounds like it. Bob Woodward. Now, that's a, that's a word cruncher there. He's a, he's a human word processor, they say. Okay. He can write. Bob Woodward can write a book in a week. I can't do that. And his books, and you know, his books are deep, and they're like eight, nine thousand pages, crazy mm -hmm. stuff. But uh, yeah, but yes, yes, what? that's all. What's that? He has a different gift than me. Well, he also has a big time publisher behind him, and he has fifty people researching his facts. Right. right. And he has a hundred people working his Twitter. That's right. And he's got another ten people working the Pinterest. That's right. Two people working Facebook. <laughs> And one person to go out and buy him a bottle of vodka every three days. Right. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's set. He doesn't have to do anything else but right. And that's I guess, right. but then he's paid his dues too, right? He really that's has. Right. Well, that's it. That's what you do. Everybody pays their dues. And that's what people don't realize then until you pay your dues. And everybody has to start to, at the bottom and work their way up. And, and as I said, it's the one that, uh, the people that persevere are the ones that are going to make it in, in the long run because you have to put in your time and it's a lengthy period of time and people don't want to hear that, you know, um, you know, seven to 10 years, it, it, that's a big chunk of change. So, yeah, um, right. no, go ahead. Yeah, so anyway, so, and, and, and the other rough part too is, uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult to uh, be able to, uh, when you're just starting out to be able to live off your writing, um, you know, royalties because it, it doesn't happen initially. And that's why, you know, uh, the big percentage of the people, uh, the, the, the newbie workers out there, none of them are quitting their day job. 
and I'm not quoting my day job either because right now I need my day job to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, supplement my income so that I could, um, I can sit here and write and market and, and do all that other stuff. Well, I'm getting ready to quit mine, so we're pretty lucky. But uh, you know something, the internet. This is—I've always said this: the internet has given people a false sense of reality. You know, they become these superstars because they have big blogs and whatever, and they honestly haven't paid their dues. You know, I used to rip on radio guys all the time, mm-hmm. and then I got some gigs where I'm working in their chair, sitting in their chair in a big house because somebody heard me because I was ripping them. That's probably one of the reasons I was doing it. Okay. But then I would start to talk with these people afterwards because they would write to me and say, hey, man, well done on my show. Good job. Thank you for not screwing up my lifetime work. <laughs> and so I would get to know some of these guys. Right. And, and these guys, like, for example, Craig Carton, who is on WFAN with Boomer Esiason from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. every day, or 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. That's the number one sports talk radio show in the world. Mm-hmm. He's not an overnight sensation. He was in the business for 20 years making next to nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he got his break because... The right person heard him, and they needed a real radio guy with a famous ex-quarterback. And that's how he got in. But these guys pay their dues. And so many of these guys start up these podcasts, and they get two or 3,000 listeners, and they think, hey, I'm ready to pitch the big boys. It don't work that way. That's right. Because <laughs> yeah, when they ask you for your resume, they're not interested in how many followers you have. They want to know what you've done, how long you've been doing it, and then, if they like what they hear in that three minutes air check, they may give you another chance. But these people, a lot of people out there think because they've been, quote unquote, internet famous, that they can just walk into ESPN and sit in Sports Center, and it yeah. don't work that way. That's right. <laughs> they all have educations. That's right. I, I don't have a communications degree, so I just kind of wing it, because whatever. But... uh Still in all, you have to pay your dues. You're exactly right. And I think that a lot of people forget that. Mm-hmm. Because you know what they do? They see something like Fifty Shades of Grey going there, and they figure they can do that too. And that was just a quirk because that is not the norm. That's the exception. And um, I, I never read the story. I really don't have any interest in that genre, and I don't plan on reading it. Um, but, uh, you know, it was the right person happened to have uh, gotten hold of that book and, and it went viral because that person had the ability to make it go viral. And, and that's the key. All we need is that one right person to make it go viral and we're going to be up there, too. But it does, like you said, it's not going to happen overnight. And, and it's really a crapshoot out there. And, and you just have to keep plugging along and keep your course until it happens to you. And it will happen if you stay in the game long enough. Yeah, but only, and then the other part of that, and you're absolutely correct, and the other part of it is this. There's only so much room for the elite. And you don't have to be elite to do well. I mean, there's a difference between a radio guy in, for example, Omaha, mm-hmm. and a radio guy in New York City. You're not going to get a gig like that. That's, that's a lottery shot. Just right. like getting a gig like Stephen King has. It was right. hard work. But he'll tell you he's the first person that tell you I'm the luckiest guy on earth because there are th- he thinks there are thousands of guys that are better writers than him. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time and the right person saw your work. And that's exactly right. And boy, that was a lot of fun having you on this show today. 
I was happy to be here anytime. I, I, I enjoy doing this. Plus, it also goes on my resume, Phil. See, there I mean, you go. <laughs> give the writers some a, a little uh, pointer here, too, because um, down the road, like when I'm ready to pitch to Hollywood or to a bigger publishing uh, house, uh, whatever, um, they want a resume of what you've done in the past. And what I created on my webpage, and my webpage is www.marianbernal.com. If you go there, there's a little tab called In the News. And of course, I have stuff archived. Every little uh, blog interview I'm on, this podcast, it all goes on my In the News. And what it does is it has the date. I, I uh, have the link to the uh, either podcast or the review. If it's a, a review, um, you know, like an interview or something, I will also create a PDF file of that, um, um, you know, blog post, the URL. I, um, I, I put it into a PDF and I also attach that uh, onto the post. So anybody, if, if say, Hollywood sees my, they, you know, gets my letters, look her up and see what she has out there. They can go in the news tab and they can go back and see what I've done since 2010 when I established that site. And every uh, interview, every um, uh, author spotlight, every feature, every uh, conference that I've taught on, a any podcast that I've appeared on, uh, it's all listed there. And, and that's my whole experience history there. And they're going to say, hey, well, this, this person's, you know, got a little following there she's been around and and that's what your your newbie writers are going to want to do they want it to to get their resume somewhere in print and what's great about having it online it's never going to go away it's there whereas if you put it on your hard drive and it crashes or something then you got to start from scratch and try to write up you know to make sure you have all these dates um all my stuff is documented and and i have a history and i'm getting a following which keeps you know it, 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 as i keep doing this uh, you know the more avenues i have open to me and it all gets documented on that page yeah i do the same thing i have uh you saw my media kit i finally put together this last weekend mm -hmm. and then i have uh my air checks everything is in one page now so these mm -hmm. guys for all three programs they can just go over there click away, have a good time, download it to their iPod, and listen to it whenever they feel like it. Because in my thing, they don't want a PDF file. They, they don't need to do that. They just send the, when they find somebody they like, they send it to the programming director just as is, and they listen. They have to listen. That's the key. Great stuff today, my friend. I, I wish you all the best. What's next for you? Um, uh, well, uh, right now um, I'm working with uh, Mark Berry and Green Wizard Publishing. We're uh, producing an anthology called Reality Bites. So um, I'm um, working on editing that. And then um, I'm going to be – I just um, uh, completed the uh, second editions, as I said, of the second and third titles. So that will be coming out soon. And then my, my next project is the Britain and the Dane timeline. I'm not leaving this time period yet. We're starting out in the 31st century, but we're going back to old Anglo-Saxon Wessex because I love it back there. Well, so I wish you and, best and of luck with that. that. I'll publish that uh, next year for me. Perfect. And we'll leave links to uh, your website in the show notes. There will be a link to the Amazon, the Amazon page that hosts the actual book that we started to talk about anyway. The, the full trilogy, and we'll send this, as we always do, to the houses and let them listen because we want to see our writers that come on the show get hooked up so that's all they do is write. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay. And I, uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Terrific. All right, and that's going to wrap it up for today's Writers, or I should say this week's Writer Showcase podcast. Until next week, enjoy the reading. <laughs>